July the 20th, starting with Proverbs chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. Get all the advice and instruction you can, so you will be wise the rest of your life. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11, a Psalm of David. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will be also raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize 
that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3. Verse 17. Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon called together all the leaders of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, the judges, and all the political and clan leaders. Then he led the entire assembly to the place of worship in Gibeon, for God's tabernacle was located there. This was the tabernacle that Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. David had already moved the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the tent he had prepared for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar made by Bezalel, son of Uri, and grandson of Hur, was there at Gibeon, in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the people gathered in front of it to consult the Lord. There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God, You showed great and faithful love to David my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O Lord God, Please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, But rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people. I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. Then Solomon returned to Jerusalem from the tabernacle at the place of worship in Gibeon, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots 
and 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near him in Jerusalem. The king made silver and gold as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone. And valuable cedar timbers were, were as common as the sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. The king's traders acquired them from Cilicia at the standard price. At that time, chariots from Egypt could be purchased for 600 pieces of silver and horses for 150 pieces of silver. They were then exported to the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Aram. Solomon decided to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a royal palace for himself. He enlisted a force of 70,000 laborers, 80,000 men to quarry stone in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen. Solomon also sent this message to King Hiram of Tyre. Send me cedar logs, as you did for my father David, when he was building his palace. I am about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn fragrant incense before him, to display the special sacrificial bread, and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening on the Sabbath, at new moon celebrations, and at the other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. He has commanded Israel to do these things forever. This must be a magnificent temple, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who can really build him a worthy home? Not even the highest heavens can contain him. So who am I to consider building a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices to him? So send me a master craftsman who can work with gold, silver, bronze, and iron, as well as with purple, scarlet, and blue cloth. He must be a skilled engraver who can work with the craftsmen of Judah and Jerusalem, who were selected by my father David. Also send me cedar, cypress, and red sandalwood logs from Lebanon. For I know that your men are without equal at cutting timber in Lebanon. I will send my men to, to help them. An immense amount of timber will be needed, for the temple I am going to build will be very large and magnificent. In payment for your woodcutters, I will send 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine, and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. King Hiram sent this letter of reply to Solomon. It is because the Lord loves his people that he has made you their king. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth. He has given King David a wise son gifted and skilled in, and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. I am sending you a master craftsman named Huram Abi, who is extremely talented. His mother is from the tribe of Dan in Israel, and his father is from Tyre. He is skillful at making things from gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and he also works with stone and wood. He can work with purple, blue, and scarlet cloth and fine linen. He is also an engraver and can follow any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen and those appointed by my Lord David your father. Send along with the wheat, barley, and olive oil 
and wine that my Lord has mentioned. We will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs and rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. From there, you can transport the logs up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all foreigners in the land of Israel, like the census his father had taken, and he counted 153,600. He assigned 70,000 of them as common laborers, 80,000 as quarry workers in the hill country, and 3,600 as foremen. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. The construction began in mid-spring during the fourth year of Solomon's reign. These are the dimensions Solomon used for the foundation of the temple of God, using the old standard of measurement. It was 90 feet long and 30 feet wide. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple, and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. He paneled the main room of the temple with cypress wood, overlaid it with fine gold, and decorated it with carvings of palm trees and chains. He decorated the walls of the temple with beautiful jewels and with gold and with the land with the land of Paravim. He overlaid the beams, thresholds, walls, and doors throughout the temple with gold, and he carved figures of cherubim on the walls. He made the most holy place 30 feet wide, corresponding to the width of the temple, and 30 feet deep. He overlaid its interior with 23 tons of fine gold. The gold nails that were used weighed 20 ounces each. He also overlaid the walls of the upper room with gold. He made two figures shaped like cherubim, overlaid them with gold, and placed them in the most holy place. The total wingspan of the two cherubim standing side by side was 30 feet. One wing of the first figure was seven and a half feet long, and it touched the temple wall. The other wing was also seven and a half feet long, touched one of the wings of the second figure. In the same way, the second figure had one wing, seven and a half feet long, that touched the opposite wall. The other wing, also seven and a half feet long, touched the wing of the first figure. So the wingspan of the two cherubim, side by side, was thirty feet. They stood on their feet and faced out toward the main room of the temple. Across the entrance of the most holy place, he hung a curtain made of fine linen, decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and embroidered with figures of cherubim. For the front of the temple, he made two pillars that were 27 feet tall, each topped by a capital extending upward another seven and a half feet. He made a network of interwoven chains and used them to decorate the tops of the pillars. He also made 100 decorative pomegranates and attached them to the chains. Then he set up the two pillars at the entrance of the temple, one to the south of the entrance and the other to the north. He named the one on, on the south, Jachin, and the one on the north, Boaz. And that concludes the reading of the word for July the 20th.